Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the game Qatar 2022. Today, there are tears of joy for Song Hyun Min as South Korea make it through to the knockout stages, but tears of pain as their victory means Uruguay's Luis Suarez is going home and makes his final World Cup appearance. It was another dramatic day. We'll talk about an exciting game between Switzerland and Serbia. And what's worse, taking off your T-shirt or poking someone in the eye? We'll discuss that with Alison Rudd after Cameroon's victory over Brazil. All that and more coming on the game. Hello and welcome back to The Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wizencroft alongside Gregor Robertson and Alison Rudd. I have... Of course, once again, joining you from Qatar, where today I was in the stadium to experience moments of joy and ecstasy for the Taiguk Warriors. <laughs> that is uh, South Korea, who are through to the knockout stages. Um, yeah, it was an incredible victory in the end over Portugal. It wasn't really incredible in terms of the two sets of players we had on show. It was definitely Portugal's B team. And South Korea, to be honest, were not the better side. Maybe not deserved winners, but who cares? We got another special end-of-group moment right at the death. A goal that sent them through and sent Uruguay out after they had beaten Ghana by just two goals to nil. Two goals up, no less, after 32 minutes. Looked like they were cruising towards a big win. They never got the goal that would have been enough to take them through. Um, South Korea going through on goal scored ultimately, in the end of this group. So it was very, very tight. Um, and yeah, we saw tears from Luis Suarez. No Edinson Cavani anymore at a World Cup. And Martin Caceres, Diego Godin, the great Uruguayan centre-back, all going home. Um, and there was mixed emotions. There was really mixed emotions. I was obviously witnessing, you know, such elation from those South Korea players. And on the screen in front of me, because the game had ended, what? about 10 minutes after the South Korea players uh, had finished their game. They all had to wait patiently in the middle of the stadium. All the fans waited with bated breath to see what the end of that game would be. Another classic World Cup moment. And um, it was Suarez and co who went out to the delight of Son Heung-min and his teammates. Um, another great afternoon in Group H at the World Cup. Um, Gregor Robertson, were you watching... What were your emotions? Shock, largely. <laughs> I did enjoy seeing the tears of joy. Um, I wasn't, you know, I'm not going to say I enjoyed seeing the, the tears of, uh, of 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 pain of Uruguay like you did earlier before loved we came on here. Of it. Inject it into my veins. Luis Suarez, send me memes, guys. Find me on the internet. Send me as many pictures of you as you can of Luis Suarez crying. I absolutely, I adored it. 
Oh, it was one of the greatest moments in World Cup history. It was better than the football. Oh, superb. Revel in it. Revel in it. Alice, it's your time to come in now, surely. It was drama. It was one of those. I don't know. I don't know who. I know I know why it was invented, having the two games played at the same time. Because because if you don't, then people um, stop playing football and has no integrity. So I get it. But I think one day people look back on the history of humankind, you know, aliens. They'll say, why did human beings do that to themselves? Because it's, you know, what do you do? Do you flick between channels? Do you invest emotionally in one game and then just rely on the broadcaster to bring you the key moments? Or do you wait for notifications on your phone? How do you handle it? And it's, it was, it was amazing, actually, because there's a moment when, did you see it? Cavani knocks over the VAR monitor, which is quite a big piece of equipment as he's leaving the pitch and it sort of clatters to the ground. It probably caused damage. I mean, I don't know what they cost, but, you know, it probably costs a bit. And it's because he thought, oh, I don't know, he probably thought his penalty shout was a penalty. I don't think it was, but there was a foul on Nunes in the box that I think was strange that it wasn't given as a penalty so i can see why they're you know they're absolutely incensed and but it it felt almost like some sort of higher power was at work because they were throughout not just at the end throughout uruguay were you know haranguing the referee and making the most of every touch and everything that happened was heightened it meant on a subconscious level the officials were getting cheesed off with them but also I think it stopped them playing football properly I think they were the better team and they looked really good at times they allowed that sense of injustice and almost as if they sort of premonition that it was going to to go wrong for them affect their their play they weren't trying to regroup they were trying to blame other people and then add to that add it to the mix that Ghana seemed happy to well almost seemed happy that they'd restored sort of some sense of justice with you know the whole Luis Suarez thing it I mean I don't want to say that they they were happy with that but it felt like it was an element of them not being too disappointed not to be progressing in the World Cup you know throughout you're thinking this you wouldn't write this as a script it's ridiculous but it it was absolutely fascinating and I suppose what was really nice was I think probably most commentators would say South Korea weren't the better team but the winning goal was rather beautiful and we all love Tottenham's son and he played an exquisite pass. So at least they went through on a note of beauty. Just quickly, I, I, on that point about watching the games at the same time, Hugh, Alice and I will have had a very different experience to you. I'm, I'm sure you've got a, you know, as you say, you had a monitor in front of you, but it's true. It's both, it's like, it's a conflict. There's like, it's both deeply unsatisfactory trying to watch two games at once and it produces the most remarkable drama that you can ever as Alison says you couldn't script so it's been it's strange it's kind of I enjoy watching a game and kind of you know absorbing it and at some points and analyzing bits of it too um, but it's impossible to do that with two games so it's just kind of trying to keep up in the end and there's been so much going on um, so I very much hope though the final point is that some of the reports I've been reading today that you know, the, the expanded World Cup from 2026 to 48 teams was going to be 16 groups of three teams that, that, that FIFA are reconsidering that and going to stick with the four because it's like, you know, it's the same with the Champions League. Let's rip up the most thrilling, dramatic, 
concept with all the jeopardy like you could ever want wish for and you know what feels like the intention is to replace it with a bigger cash cow i really hope they kind of uh refrain from doing that because it's been absolutely box office stuff are you sure that you want things to stay the same because you know that means scotland are never getting to the world cup right <laughs> no no well, there'll still be 48 teams it just means that there'll be four, just the four group the groups of four <laughs> is the most important point <laughs> oh well, i see you uh, still want another, it to be ex- you still want it to be expanded <laughs> well funnily enough funnily enough that's an, that's another conflict like about you know lessening the you know <laughs> the mission, the quality. But actually, that might get Scotland in, so I'm conflicted about that as well. We'll talk about that another day. There are a number of things to pick up on on, on what you've both said. Um, it obviously is a sensory overload in terms of the experience that I have because I've got you know, live commentary in one ear, I've got a radio producer screaming in my ear, I've got broadcasters beside me, I've got fans around me. Tr- I'm trying to talk about all the, the visual things that I can see from the Korean players and stuff, so it's hard to really feel like you're experiencing it in, in the same way to be honest and obviously I'm looking at the, the Uruguay game at the same time as well so it is there's a lot going on there so yeah you, you sort of get to the end of the show and you're like oh okay what what just happened so it's it's not that easy but I see where you're coming from um, and, and, and I wanted to pick up on like I say some of the things that you mentioned I don't know where to start I guess we should reflect on Uruguay shouldn't we Alison um, because of what you said about Ghana's I guess, bittersweet defeat, if you can call it that, because I think um, there was an element of revenge involved. I think for the fans, um, that hate figure, Luis Suarez, seeing his tears, um, you know, karma. You know, I think a lot of people felt that way. It took 12 years, but he finally got what was coming to him, which is very strange given that Uruguay actually won the game and it had kind of nothing to do with Ghana, but there you go. I, I mean, it was a remarkable end to that game. Um, in the last 10 minutes, I genuinely felt had the final pass just been a little bit better, both Uruguay and Ghana probably could have scored four goals each, you know, in the last 10 minutes of that. I've never really seen a game where both sides decide there's no need to defend, we'll just try and score goals. Obviously, there was an urgent need from um, Uruguay to do that and Ghana, it was very odd. They just sort of left six players up peppered the goal with shots, vice versa. And yeah, Uruguay just couldn't find that goal. But it was a kind of incredibly entertaining, you know, it was like the school ground, wasn't it? It was an incredible finish to that game, as well as the other game between South Korea and uh, and Portugal. Um, but Gregor, what's your reaction to it? Let's start with that Ghanaian joy and Uruguayan anger and Cavani punching the, the VAR screen to the ground as well. Maybe it was a bit of a push, I don't know. VAR can check, but... The screen's broke, so uh, we'll have to wait, I guess. But what do you, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm sad to see sort of some a few individuals go. I think Valverde's been exceptional. I think Benton Koo was spoken about. He's been brilliant. Uh, I think Nunes has largely stunk the place out, to be brutally honest. Um, and I don't think well, they've looked gritty. I think everything we've said in the previous shows has kind of turned out to be. A fair assessment, and that they, you know, they didn't really turn up for for kind of large enough swathes of of games, and I don't think they really, although it's very fine margins, I, I don't think we can say they deserve to go through. Also, you know, well, I'm not, I'm saying I didn't enjoy their um, their tears. I also didn't really enjoy their reaction at the end of it either, in terms of the way that they harangued the officials and 
we can talk about the penalty incident. I, it, it's one of those where he tries to buy it. Many refs and VARs would have have been takers for it, <laughs> but I have no problem with it not being a penalty because I, 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 I'm maybe slightly biased looking at it from a defender's point of view, but if someone just sticks their foot out as you're running at full pace in front of you directly, how are you not going to trip them up? It's a very modern, crafty way of buying a penalty kick. And we've spoken about this it's many, a Jamie Vardy special. It is. Call, call it what it is, Gregor. That. It's the Vardy special. Stick your foot, not just across the defender, but in between the defender's legs. A bit like putting a stick in the front of a bicycle and, of course, it, all hell will break loose. Absolutely. So I, I have no problem with that not being a penalty. All I'm saying is I can see why they were... We've seen kind of lighter things given already, but still, nevertheless, the way that they reacted at the final whistle was, was, was pretty uh, off-putting. So I wasn't too disappointed to see them go out after that chasing the referee down the tunnel as well but it felt like when Andre Ayew missed the penalty they you know like you can see people that are winded like emotionally winded and it they didn't quite it they, they almost felt like well that's you know that's it for us you know we're not going to we're just not it's not going to be our day and it's so so that all they could hope for from the day was to make sure Uruguay didn't go through. The first 20 minutes were very different and you felt that it was a very, very even game. Uruguay became the more accomplished team because because Ghana had, had the wind taken out of their sails. I mean, it was the most, it wasn't like it was an unlucky penalty or a great save. It was one of the, it's, you, know when, you, know when you, you know when you watch the, the string of penalty takers who wait to see which way the goalkeeper will go, and then they calmly slot it to the other side. The goalkeeper didn't move. And so Andre Ayew, he may as well have just gone and made himself a cup of tea down the tunnel because he didn't know what to do at that point. It would have been just as effective for him to turn around and walk walk away because he just lamely tapped it towards the goal. And it was just, it was excruciating. And I really felt for him because he'd obviously had a plan and you know, he didn't have a plan B. I mean, how you can execute a plan B that quickly in your head, I don't know. But he, he had one idea about his penalty and it didn't work. And it affected the crowd, it affected the whole team. I agree with you, Hugh, that they perked up a lot more in the second half. But that was a that was as crucial to the way the game evolved as as the penalty shouts that weren't given. Uruguay. Are you saying that they should have got a penalty in the game, just to be clear? There were two shouts of penalties. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think the Cavani one wasn't. I, I think that was a striker looking for the looking for the foul. But I, I think the foul on Nunes was was a penalty. Or no, sorry, at least at least at least I think I think it was close enough to be really, really angry if you're Uruguay. Yeah, I can understand that because there was a grapple there, but he gets his toe to the ball, does Daniel Amate. You know, Alison, I, I feel that there's a tinge of pain on this podcast from you. You know, you're not your usual joyous <laughs> self. Is it because <laughs> is it because a Liverpool legend in the shape of Luis Suarez and a, and a, maybe a future Liverpool legend in the shape of Darwin Nunez a, a, have gone home? Did you feel personally hurt by their exit? Tell the truth. Because I, I love those, I, I love those tears. I mean, I love them. No, so didn't. maybe didn't. you didn't. I've had, I've had quite a lot of pain so far through this World Cup, and I know you're calling it the curse of Rudd. I've heard this. I do listen. <laughs> I do listen to you when, when I'm not with you. Um, 
And the curse, of course, continued. We'll, we'll come on to how my curse continued when we talk about the other games today. I'm not doing very well with my yearnings nor my predictions, put it that way. But no, I wasn't um, desperately emotionally invested in Uruguay pr progressing. I find them amusing. I find Suarez amusing. He doesn't, I don't find him offensive the way quite a lot of people do. I think he's everything he's done in his career, he's done from a place that he can't control. He's highly, highly emotional player. And I'd rather see a highly emotional player than one that is an automaton, really genuinely would. And obviously he's overstepped the mark from time to time and annoyed whole nations. But, you know, he's a force of nature and he's, he's box office to watch. But I don't, I, I didn't feel, I, I actually enjoyed South Korea going through because uh, I like Son a hell of a lot. And I think they, they're you know, punching slightly above their weight and are the underdogs and conduct themselves well. So no, for, I've had a lot of down moments, but that wasn't one of them, Hugh, no. I'm interested in whether you agree with me is that the penalty miss was significant as significant in that game as the as the penalty shouts i think it was hugely significant in terms of the outcome of the game i thought it was an absolutely dreadful penalty taken with no conviction i'm tired i mean gareth bell showed everyone right at the start of the tournament if you can't run anymore at least bury your penalty and he made absolutely sure it went through the goalkeeper's hands he hit it with such power and such precision it was the only good thing he did at the tournament but it mattered for his team, at least in terms of getting them a point in that game. But I'm sorry, these penalties, these they mean too much. These moments change games. They change the momentum of games. They change the approach from coaches. And I know it sounds what ridiculous to say, you know, Lewandowski's missed a penalty at this World Cup. Messi's missed a penalty in this World Cup. You know, it's so silly for me to say you've got to score. But Andre Ayew, you've got to score. You've just got to score. I mean, there's, there is, there is. I don't know what the psychology is around it. There's nothing I can sort of, you know. But he has to score. There's no explanation. He just has to score. And and the strangest thing about it is, I don't think anyone felt he was going to score. And maybe that came across to him. You know, not every team has a fantastic penalty taker. Some have great goal scorers. It's very difficult to find a a great penalty taker these days. But that one has to be hit with conviction, you know? And if the goalkeeper makes a great save, the goalkeeper makes a great save. If you pass it to one side and the goalkeeper goes that way, it's getting saved. The goalkeeper was basically waiting for it. You can't have that in matches of this magnitude. And I know it's easy for me to say because I haven't pulled on the boots and I haven't walked on there at the, at the World Cup and I haven't taken a penalty. But honestly, you have to... You, you, Am I wrong, Gregor? You just got to bury that. You just got to, all right, not, not bury it, but then it needs to be hit with serious conviction because of the magnitude of the penalty. I don't know. I mean, everyone who, who tries that method probably practices it long and hard and it's becoming more and more commonplace. So, um, I th you know, it's always hard to kind of, we're, we're, we're trying to tell players who are playing at the World Cup who are supposed to be the kind of, at the, the top of world football that they should be scoring a penalty. I, I know why you're saying it. I know you think it's in a really sort of pressure-laden moment. Just bury it, as you say. But he's clearly he clearly feels that's the best way to, to score. And unfortunately, he was wrong on that moment. <laughs> that moment. Also, just uh, Alison's second point about the way that the game kind of finished was interesting too, because I completely agree. It was like, 
it was it did kind of peter out. Although they still had, in an odd way, they still had chances. As you say, they left players forward, but it didn't seem any urgency. It looked like they were out on their feet or something. So there's been such peculiar ends to games. We'll come to other games as well later on. I think the same was true of the Serbia game. Um, Serbia were brilliant for moments, but the, the way the game petered out was, I found, very peculiar when everything was on the line. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe maybe the, the three games three games in a short space of time is kind of finally catching up with people and they're dead on their feet. You know, that really does take us quite expertly, Gregor, to South Korea's win over Portugal because we were there on commentary screaming, why aren't South Korea throwing the kitchen sink at Portugal? They know they've, they need a goal and that one goal would take them through. And we saw, again, they, they kind of looked dead on their feet. The only reason that really they managed to get any opportunity in the game was firstly a counter-attack from a Portugal corner, but also because there was a disconnect between a very changed uh, Portugal lineup. Um, and then once you threw the substitutes into that late on, it really was, you know, just whoever hasn't had enough minutes of the tournament out there on the pitch for a bit of a practice match, you know, they, they weren't a serious force at that point in time in the game. But ultimately, it, you know, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. It feels like there isn't this, you know, we haven't seen that direct, you know, you know, teams that need a goal. Maybe football's just evolved because we ain't seen the centre-back go in the box yet. You know, we haven't seen the goalkeeper lumping up late free kicks, just getting every player into the box, trying to make something happen. We've barely seen that at all. And it's been a bit peculiar now maybe that just blows our mind because we watch English football all the time and that's what we expect we expect the keeper up at the late late set pieces to try and head one in you know maybe that's just us I don't know but um South Korea I think got very very fortunate that that headed clearance fell to Son Hyung Min a player of quality and importantly a player of speed who basically just gave everything he had left to sprint away with five players chasing him and I think Huang Hee Chan did exactly the same thing. He just about gave what he had coming off the bench um, to sprint through the middle of the pitch. I was going to say tied the run perfectly, but I don't think he slowed down. It was just the perfect delivery of the pass at the perfect moment, at the perfect weight, with the perfect finish. And it was a great end to that game. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying because I think that's what I witnessed today. But we might as well pick up on what a fantastic win that was for South Korea. I've got to say, is this this is probably the first group where three teams deserve to go out. You know, South Korea go through, but they have not been good in this tournament and they were not great today, even though they managed to get a win over, over Portugal. And you kind of think, that's, that's pretty weak. But, you know, again, don't want to take anything away from them. It was a great moment, Alison. Yeah, it was. And you're making me think, actually, because it was... A beautiful, it was a beautiful goal, what won it. And as you say, sort of separate to the rest of the fair that had gone on. I wonder how that's coached because you can't possibly at halftime or even before the game say, look, let's keep it boring and <laughs> contained and just do what you can to get through. But we have every faith that a moment of sheer brilliance and luck will happen. And I can't believe people actually, coaches actually say that to players. You have to have an overall plan for the for the full match and matches. And it but it does seem 
I mean, there have been a few moments like that. It does seem like, I wouldn't call it dross at all, but there's there's these long lulls and you think, well, you know, neither of these teams are going to win win the competition, are they? And then you get out of from nowhere, you get something really fantastic and eye-catching and clever and full of innate talent. And you, th- I, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I, I suspect they're, that they are the sort of teams where they're so heavily drilled and buy into um, a philosophy and a style and know what, know, importantly, I think, know what their weaknesses are, that they, they just think if you have faith and do all the things, you know, the basics as well as you can, you'll be blessed with a moment. I am struggling to see how that can be a plan for the whole tournament to, to wait for these one precious moments that come along. So I think, I think, I think you're right though, Hugh, I think it's a strange, a strange group. The teams with the most eye-catching stories and individuals are Portugal and South Korea. So I, I'm happy for them to go through. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I, you know, I'm displeased, a bit miffed that, 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 that they have. And I think also, or crucially think that um, both of them are capable of providing more, more beauty in the tournament, actually, because they've got, I don't know, they've just, they've just got enough. I think they've just about got enough, but it just, it, but just, I don't know if some, can someone please explain to me how you coach that 91st minute winner mentality? Cause I don't, I don't understand. I think we've got to acknowledge that part of this is about who their opposition is too, and that Portugal are through, and that France, when they played Tunisia, were through. Uh, Spain thought they were through, basically home and dry, when they played against Japan the other night. So like these, some of these shocks are part of it's to do with the fact that the opposition they're playing are not in the same, they don't have the same motivation. And it's about staying in the game. I think they say, you know, certainly as you say, there's no way they're coaching them to say, to, you know, we'll hang on and then try and get one in the 91st minute. They'll say, let's stay in the game and we'll see how things are unfolding. Um, and then a lot of the time, these are kind of moments that an individual produced. And it was really, as you said, like Son just tearing up the pitch like that and exquisite little nutmeg, like just amazing kind of composure. It's marriage, married to instinct. It, when it really, really mattered, and I think you've also got to see a really good finish from uh, from Wang as well. So it was yeah, remarkable, another remarkable moment. And as I said before, they, this you know they always say that the action heats up in the knockout stages, but they're gonna the group stage is gonna take some beating. It was a ridiculous end of the group stage. It honestly was. I mean, I don't think I can remember you know the level of shocks, but also of course the timing of the goals, the drama, the back and forth. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Hopefully that trend continues. We get loads of extra time, penalties, who knows what else in the knockout stages. Yeah, it ended on a high note, if you like, the group stage. But also I think, Gregor, what played into it was the number of games in quick succession. The, okay, if you like, the fact that teams were already through because that meant they made a load of changes as well. But i.e. the need to rest players, I think, led to that too. So there, there were a number of factors at play. I think we all love South Korea because a lot like Japan, they're honest, aren't they? It's just a bunch bunch of honest lads trying to play football the right way. Not too much diving, a little bit. The fans are brilliant. The fans well. were incredible. The fans are outstanding. Yeah. They look, I mean, I'm not there, but they look on the TV like they're producing an absolutely brilliant atmosphere. 
Like, they're just like a kind of sea of ultras, you know? <laughs> All of them. It looks brilliant. No, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. They make such a noise. What's incredible is, you know, I've been to some loud stadiums during the competition, but, you know, decibel per fan, if you like, if that's a unit, they're up there. They are right up there because they haven't got necessarily the numbers, but they certainly have the volume. It's, you know, actually, the, the you know, when you see the slow motion replays of the crowd afterwards, just how many of their fans sort of burst into tears. Um, shirts off, loved it. Um, it wasn't quite like St. James's Park. There were a few more abs in the Korean fans that took their shirts off than there were bellies, but there you go. But um, but yeah, it, it, it meant a lot to them. Like, it really meant a lot to them. Those are the sorts of pictures that the World Cup is all about, really. So on they go. Tough game coming up next. Uh, for South Korea because they'll be taking on Brazil. Um, Portugal are through as group winners. They'll take on Switzerland. Let's talk about the other games that we saw this evening. A win for Cameroon over Brazil. Brazil are beaten. So I guess, Gregor, that plays into the fact that another shock at the end of the group stage didn't mean a lot to Brazil in the end, but... um, it certainly meant a lot to Vincent Abubakar, who got a red card for his celebration. Got a second yellow, I should say, but ended up being sent off. The politest sending off I think I've ever seen. The referee actually congratulated him before he showed the second yellow. And it was all smiles when he went off. Um, and they managed to hold on for the last few seconds to beat Brazil, which is a massive result, even though Cameroon go out. Um, what did you make of that from what you saw? Again, this is another one of the unsatisfactory things about. I think definitely the Serbia and Switzerland game was kind of drawing me in more. It looked to be, you know, Brazil made a raft of changes. Cameroon kind of started to create a, f- a few chances, had a couple in the first half actually. The goalkeeper had to make a couple of good saves, um, and then again, but again, it was just another kind of shock, another shock moment at the end of the game uh, that again plays into the into the fact that Brazil had made so many changes, they had nothing riding on the game. Cameroon, it was a great finish to be fair, and suddenly, again because of this format, and because of the way that, you know everyone still has something to play for, Cameroon had had a glimmer of hope for the for the final few minutes of injury time, just in case I think in case uh, Serbia equalised, then it would have given them a, a chance so, yeah, it, it was just it, certainly the Switzerland-Serbia game was the one that was drawing me in though, because that was that was feisty and there was some real quality on show as well for Swedes and both from from both teams, and I think both of them really, really kind of showed the best of themselves for parts of that that game. It's the um, first time an African nation has beaten Brazil. Part of me wondered if, because I think you mentioned Gregor that you were surprised that Cameroon really didn't go for it, as though they were just happy with that piece of history. Had Abubakar not been sent off, maybe he could have got a second, and then you never know, sort of thing. It was. It was strange, like a a tournament all of its own. We have beaten Brazil. That is all that matters. Oh, is there a World Cup going on as well? Because, you know, it was just a bit peculiar in that sense. Why would a player take his shirt off and and get sent off? It's like in a parallel world, he might have got a second goal. Because it meant so much instinct to just, I don't know, celebrate. 
Isn't that okay? Yeah, but would you say it's okay to celebrate by poking the referee in the eye? You get sent off then as well. That might you just don't just don't do things that'll get you sent off when you're happy. Never become a judge, Alison. Never get. I don't need to become a magistrate or anything like that ever. Okay, <laughs> just go off and retire. Whenever you're done, just enjoy yourself. Sit back. I don't want you to be a moral arbiter of anything. Okay, because you cannot equate taking off your shirt with poking the referee in an eye. Come on. <laughs> No, but that's the point, isn't it? They're both, both things could be said to be done in, out of pure exuberance and joy and being lost in the moment. They're both wrong. Unbelievable scenes. Since when? Okay, since when? Do you, since when does taking your shirt off be an acceptable way to celebrate? There are other things you can do that don't get you sent off. So I'm just wanna, I just want to picture you, you know, next week going home on the tube... England have just, you know, knocked Senegal out or they're, they're into maybe the semi-finals of the World Cup. You see a group of jubilant England fans on the tube. One of them pokes you in the eye out of sheer joy, apologises, and you say, completely understandable, don't worry about it. Is that right? No, you're completely and utterly missing the point, <laughs> which is there are lots of things you can do when you're happy. It doesn't have to be something that is against the law of the game. You can do a somersault. You can hug 20 people. You can run to your manager and give him a full-on snog. You can do what you want that you cannot take your shirt off. So why do why do it? Why do it? Why not train yourself? Celebration why police. Why not train yourself? Why not train yourself to do something else that's flamboyant? He's only going to score against Brazil once. That's probably why. I think you could train yourself all, all you wanted and it wouldn't matter a jot when you just scored the winner against yes, Brazil. Yes, but okay, explain to me. Explain and to he probably me forgot why, he was on a yellow card. Why? But why is it that, why does the taking off the shirt, why is that the go-to thing to do? Why? Football heritage. That, that's why. Football heritage. It's not, but they, they didn't used to do it. In Ebenezer Cobb Morley's day, they never took the shirt Unbelievable. Anyway, Cameroon are out. Um, he'll be suspended for, God knows, the next international, maybe the next World Cup game, in which case it was probably worth the red because he might not be back. But um, but yeah, look, I think Brazil being beaten, Cameroon beating them is a special moment for their nation and their players and they're going to savour it and they're going to celebrate however they want. So you do what you want, OK? Take your shirt off. If that means Alison Rudd's unhappy with you, so be it. I'm OK. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. With it. Let's talk about Gregor, the game between Switzerland and Serbia. The Swiss winning it 3-2. They are through to face Portugal in a very intriguing last 16 fixture. But this one was attritional. Um, There was that subplot with Jordan Shakiri and Granit Xhaka and their celebrations and words that have been spoken previously about their sense of national pride, let's call it that. Um, Of course, of Albanian descent and... um, and yeah, some of that spilled over. We saw Granit Xhaka with some very rude words being spoken to the Serbian bench. We saw the Serbian players, um, you know, giving a bit of a, a rough treatment as well during the game. And of course, we saw some great goals. Shakiri, you know, shushing the Serbian crowd with his goal. Um, Mitrovic with a sensational header. Not sure where Akanji was for either of the goals, to be honest. Dusan Vlajevic is either, but there you go. It all made for a very intriguing contest. Um, were Switzerland worthy winners here? I think they were. I think they were, yeah. I think in the second half, they, they largely controlled it, actually. I was quite impressed. With, I thought I expected more from Serbia in the second half because obviously they, they fought back brilliantly um, after going two down and I expected them to have come out of a real goal. But Switzerland controlled the game really well in the, in the second half. I, I see what you're saying about Akanji there, but I, I mean... Some of the goals were, were remarkable. As you said, Mitrovic's header, it was like a composed header. That sounds like a weird word to use for it, but he, he saw it all the way onto his head and just like directed it really calmly into the corner. You know, there was no no real power or anything. It was just using the speed of the ball. It was a beautiful header. And Vlavic's goal, he was he was kind of facing like the corner flag. There was no no one else expected him to, sh- to be shooting. So I can... I can absolutely kind of see why Akanji was surprised by it. But you're right, he was he was right in front of him, really. And didn't even like attempt to make a block because he didn't see it coming. So that was another really kind of unusual goal. And then Freuler's goal in the uh, for Switzerland in, in the second half came after a lovely little flick by Ruben Vargas. So yeah, I thought I, I really I really enjoy watching Ricardo Rodriguez as well left back. He's yeah, I think he's really classy, lovely left foot. He was involved in a lot of the attacking play in the first half. Um, you know, a lot of players just swing across into the box. He he'll wait and wait and wait and, and pick someone out or try and pick someone out. I thought he was excellent. But I also really loved watching, I've loved watching Tadic play in this tournament. I think the way he's really such a classy footballer, the way he changes direction, manipulates the ball to find time and space. Um, it was his cross for Mitrovic's header. I think he's been really good. So uh, look, I've enjoyed watching both these teams. I think ultimately, I thought Serbia in the first game against Brazil were really impressive defensively and then they've, they've been... F- Far less so, to put it politely, in the next two games. You know, their collapse against Cameroon and the way that they were kind of easily exposed, particularly in behind the kind of uh, the wing backs. You know, Switzerland were able to carve through them on a number of occasions quite easily. It was it was quite disappointing actually after that first game. So you know, as you've referenced, there were some heated moments towards the end. Not surprising that Xhaka was right in the middle of it, and even after he was booked, was kind of. Still, still trying, still having to get pulled apart from people. That guy is like a loose cannon sometimes. I really hope that doesn't come back to bite him. But it was, a, I enjoyed this game, and I, but I think Switzerland deserved it. Alison, I'm just trying to list out the heartbreaks that you may have been through during this tournament because 
Is it your boy Mitrovic? He's one of your boys, right? Mitrovic and Serbia out. Christian Eriksen, we know, is your boy. He's number one. Uh, he and Denmark are out. England have gone through. That was a heartbreaking moment for you, clearly, as well. Have I missed any off the list? No, you're right. I did I did tip Mitrovic to be the winner of the Golden Boot. He's only scored two. I mean, and he's gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> there really is a curse of Farad, isn't there? Um, I... I, I don't know. I think the problem with Serbia was I'll, I was less impressed with their defending against Brazil than Gregor, but I defer to his expertise in the field. But I do feel in this game um, that their defence, it was like they'd stepped out of a time machine from 20 years ago. They defended as if all you need to do to defend is be brave, right? You can't fault their bravery. I mean, you know, my new cult figure is Pavlovich because he looks like he would, you know, saw off his arm in order to save a goal. But they don't press the ball. They don't put any pressure on the team attacking them. They just sort of, they're quite passive and have that sort of, well, you know, come and get us then approach to defending. And the world's moved on from that. That isn't an acceptable way to defend you're not going to scare people by scowling at them and put them off scoring goals so they were they were a lopsided team because I think Tadic I agree with Gregor Tadic is a great player and he was man of the match in terms of elegance on the ball they're a strange team to watch I love watching them but they're a strange team to watch because they they can do things that are quite delicate and nuanced and clever up front but you know, the further back the pitch you go, they become sort of guttural and um, basic and not so clever. And again, this was this was the way it unraveled for them was was just very strange. It was it was a seesaw match, and yet it was like it was one seesaw too many because of course they had that amazing game against Cameroon where they were completely in charge and then it fell apart for them. And you wondered where did that come from? How is that possible? Because they they were strutting their stuff, and it was like they thought, oh, we can't. This is happening again. It was like they they became fatalistic almost and um, lost their shape, lost their emotional equilibrium. I wouldn't dare to try and rank countries in terms of who feels the patriotism more, who who you know who wants to do it more for their country as opposed for to, for themselves. But I would definitely say Serbia are right up there in terms of the desperation to do well for their people and that they really feel it as a unit. And that, that it was like that was too much for them. There was still a chance for them and there was still a possibility they could go through. It was it was it became fatalistic too early. But up until sort of 50 minutes it was it was absolutely cracking game indeed it was but it wasn't to be for serbia they go out switzerland are through let me remind you of what the last 16 looks like it all begins tomorrow or this morning if you're listening uh, on saturday netherlands against the united states and argentina against australia are our first two games japan against croatia Brazil against South Korea on Monday. Sunday's France against Poland. I'll be at that game. England against Senegal, of course, on Sunday evening. Morocco against Spain. And Portugal against Switzerland. And I feel like they look quite straightforward, but this has been a World Cup of shocks. The I guess the bookmakers would suggest we're going to see Argentina, Brazil, 
and then six other European nations. I guess the United States against the Netherlands quite finely poised. But um, but other than that, Morocco against Spain, maybe there's a chance there as well for Morocco to do something special. But again, the bookmakers would suggest that's what we're going to see. And I just wondered whether we all thought that was a bad thing because my immediate reaction is that's not great. I've kind of reveled in the fact that we're going to have two Asian teams you know, at this next stage, uh, plus Australia, of course, um, the United States are there, Senegal are there, Morocco are there, South Korea too, like that's what the World Cup is about. And I would sort of be gutted. I'd kind of feel like, you know, those European nations that maybe had one team in the Champions League and then they look at the last eight and it's just three big nations, you know, plus Bayern Munich maybe. Um, and you kind of think, well, what's the point? Like, I don't want that to happen because I feel like, the World Cup of Shocks has provided us with a real sense of it being the World's Cup. What do you think, Alison? I agree with you. I'd like it to be a you know, proper World's Cup. I'd like that. I'm not sure that the European teams will dominate the way you think. I think if the correct, tactically astute version of Japan turns up against Croatia, they can easily win that. It just, it just depends which Japan turns up. We've seen different Japans within one game and we've seen different Japan between matches as well so they are all about it seems they're all about personnel and the tactics and the tactical tweaks and when it uh, clicks for them they're they're absolutely scintillating and great energy levels so and i think croatia have some slow players in their team so i think that's entirely possible to be I, I don't know, would you call that an upset? I'm not sure that's really an upset given what we've seen so far. I don't know. I wouldn't write off Senegal, because, but I'm a misery when it comes to England, so I would say that, wouldn't I? And the, I think the day that's going to provide the most unpredictable entertainment is tomorrow, Saturday. We're recording this Friday night, so today's games. What you've got for Saturday's games is the two teams that have relied most on athleticism and attitude in America and Australia. A number of themes to this World Cup, but one of them has been the importance of energy and attitude. The amount of ground covered and the consistent levels we've seen from those two teams is astonishing. They just keep going and keep going, no matter how clever their opponents, how much better at football their opponents might be. Both America and both Australia have astonishing levels of fortitude and energy and athleticism. So I think that in both those games, that could just be enough. Certainly, I think it wouldn't be a big shock if the USA beat Holland at all. The Netherlands, USA and, and Japan, Croatia are kind of the most finely balanced. But I personally wouldn't write off Switzerland against Portugal. They're quite a well-balanced team and I think they've got they've got threats going forward. Like I say, I think they even against Brazil, they kind of they, they held out for a long period. They looked fairly un, unflustered. Um, and tonight when they had to turn it up a notch, they did so. And they've also got a bit of pedigree from having taken out France in the last, last competition. So I personally think that that's a potential shock on the cards. But I, I, I said it last night here. I think, you know, we, we as, look, it's already been a World Cup of shocks. No more shocks from here on in. It's no bad thing. At least we'll see some big heavyweight clashes. It's, we've already seen huge nations go out and some absolute box office drama. If there's no more shocks from here on in, it's still been a remarkable group stage and it's no bad thing if you see some of the big the big names going at it in the in the knockout phase. I do like the way that you've treated Switzerland as completely neutral 
they're not part of the EU. They're still part of Europe, though. So I, I can guarantee you a European team is going to go through from that tie against Portugal. I wasn't talking about Europe. I was just I wasn't talking about <laughs> European or not. I just think obviously Portugal are favourites there. Uh, I see. Okay. Well, I think that one's very even, actually. I've watched Portugal on two occasions at this World Cup, and I agree with you that that one's not a foregone conclusion by any stretch of the imagination. Just for the games on Saturday, then. Netherlands against the United States, Argentina against Australia. Who are you going for, Alison? Oh, I'm going to go for the Energy Boys, America and Australia. More disappointment on the way. Uh, the <laughs> Rudd curse continues, I'm sure. Let's see if there's a shock then. Go on, Gregor. I'm good for Argentina, much as I've enjoyed watching Australia. Really can't call the other one. I can't call it, so don't ask me to. Pathetic. I think it's an interesting one because I think they are very similar in terms of quality, the United States and the Netherlands. I think the difference will be the quality in front of goal from Cody Yakpo. So that's my prediction for this game. I think uh, they've just got someone who's feeling it in front of net at the moment. And as much as I like some of those American forwards, they they haven't got a natural finisher. And I think Yakpo's just hit a little stretch of form, quite confident. Um, and I think those American setbacks will find it difficult to con- control him. You know, Ream and Zimmerman, they've been great. Alison, is Reem one of your boys? Oh, no. Not another one of your boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, well, I, I hope America go through. We'll react to that uh, tomorrow. The first, uh, last 16 matches underway at the World Cup. Loads will be written and said about it, of course, on the Times app. So make sure you download that. You can subscribe to times.co.uk forward slash the game as well. For more of us, hit that notification bell and we will see you on Saturday night slash Sunday morning. Speak soon. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.